We are in part six of this series called, Is Anyone Out There?, where we're looking at prayer and how to connect with God and how to, to use prayer as a vehicle for growing our intimacy and connection with God. And we, we talked all throughout the series, we all have different backgrounds with prayer. We all have different understandings of what prayer was, what it is in our life, how we use it. Uh, I, I remember growing up, I went to a very large church uh, in the South, and on Sunday mornings, it would it'd be packed, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of people, and everybody would be talking. And then all of a sudden, I remember as a young kid, this voice, it was like the voice of God would come over. And it was our pastor, I didn't know at the time, that he had a wireless mic on down like behind somewhere. And he would just start talking and being like, dearly beloved, we are gathered today in the midst of God. Let's join our hearts together and pray. And it was like, as soon as he said pray, everybody went silent. And it was just this mythical thing of like, I guess now God is tuned in. We're tuned in to God in this direct moment right now. And I used to wait for that every Sunday. We had like, is it happening? You know, when's, when's the voice of God showing up? And, and then, of course, when they would pray, while we're all praying, having this intense moment with God, the choir filed in, everybody got set for, for music, and it was like magic then, too. Like, how did this stage transform while we were praying? And as a little kid, I didn't understand that. Now, I, of course, we all get that. But I just had this mythical view of prayer kind of growing up at times, too. A very practical view of prayer. Sometimes what we talked about before when you need something. We often connect prayer to either events in our life or responses to circumstances rather than actually using it to develop intimacy in a relationship with our Creator. And that's why we've been doing this series. Because even as weird or odd as prayer may seem at times, it is not just a religious practice of our faith, but it, when we better understand its purpose and its power, it becomes a vital part of our faith and relationship to God. So we're going to be in Luke 11 today. We've been there all uh, series, pretty much. We started in Matthew 6. For the last few weeks, we've been in Luke 11. In the context of Luke 11, Jesus with his disciples, they ask him, teach us how to pray. And he is using this moment to kind of turn on the head some of the understandings they had about prayer and, and what prayer was, that it's not this, you know, performance or this ritual, but instead it is this intimate connection with our Heavenly Father. And what we're going to look at today are the last statements that Jesus gives of the model prayer to use. And then in the next two weeks, we're going to look at two stories or parables that Jesus tells to further nail down and entrench in our lives what prayer is. So let's jump in today and look back at the context that we've looked at about what prayer is, what we've been doing with this, and then what we're going to look at today. So Luke chapter 11, verse 2, he starts off, he said to them, when you pray, and we've talked about what prayer means. It's, uh, there's two root words that go along with it uh, that really help us understand that we are moving into God's presence for an advantageous purpose. That's what prayer is, is actually getting ourselves into the presence of God so that we can gain advantage, not over other people, but over our circumstances, over our lack of understanding, over issues that are going on in our life. And this speaks to the much deeper meaning of what prayer really is. It isn't a response, but instead it is an, an initiative that we take in order to move closer towards God, in order to put ourselves in a better position to understand and directly access his presence, his wisdom, his love, his truth, his understanding, his forgiveness in every aspect of his infinite character. So when he says, when you pray, this is what he's talking about, actually moving yourself into God's 
presence. Now, I want you to, we're, we're moving towards something today, this, this whole picture of what this model prayer is. So I want you to remember, like, the step we're going to end up at can't begin until you do step one of actually mentally and cognitively moving yourself into God's presence and saying there's going to be something beneficial that comes out of this for me. And then he said, when you pray, say this, pray to your father in heaven who has a hallowed name. And we looked at what father in heaven and hallowed means. It meant that there is a present God who is our parent and provider who can see farther and understand better than we can in every situation and whose character and nature is unique, holy, and gracious. We said one of the key things was to remember who we are having this conversation with, that this is a father in heaven who has a hallowed name, a good God who understands and sees farther than we do and wants good for us. It's a beautiful thing. As we move into a presence of God, we're not moving to someone who's angry at us, someone who's out to get us, someone that we have to get his attention. We are already in his presence and we have his attention. And then it says, as you pray to this father in heaven, pray this, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. And we looked last week at this, at what this meant, that the idea of God's kingdom and God's will are not a battle cry to defeat our enemies or to impose our will upon people. Instead, we saw that the kingdom of God is about community and compassion and that God's will is focused on hope and healing. And this helped us to remember what we are having a conversation about. We're not coming in saying, God, do this for me, do that for me. We're coming in saying, your kingdom come. May community and compassion grow in whatever we're going to pray about. May we pray that community and compassion grow and your will be done. Hope and healing occur in my life and in other people's lives. So we've talked about who we're praying to, remember who we're praying to, and what we're having a conversation about, which brings us to verses 3 and 4, which are the last two statements that Jesus gives us in this model prayer. And to take, today we take a turn that is the more practical part of prayer where we invite God into the depths of our lives. So look at this at verse 3 and 4, and it says this. Chapter 11, verse 3 and 4, he continues. He said, pray this, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And, and again, this is the more practical part of prayer. And the way we're going to say it, this is what makes prayer so meaningful in our lives. It's meaningful in our life. It's not just a act we do and check off for our day. I have prayed today and now I can move forward. It actually brings meaning to our lives and accomplishes something in our lives. And I want to be very honest. This has been a, a pretty difficult sermon for me to write, not because of the difficulty of the topic. I'm not like teaching on death or hell or, or even giving, right? Those are not fun topics to teach on. But it's difficult because it's so personal in nature. These two simple verses are uh, examples of that, that Jesus sets before us are an open invitation for God to step into the most intimate parts of our life, the most vulnerable areas of our soul, and allow his presence to shift our focus, our mindsets, our desires, our attitudes, and our outlooks. You know, it's easy enough for us to simply quote these two verses as a repetitive prayer. Give us this daily bread, forgive us, we'll forgive others, you know, help us not to go into temptation, keep evil away from us. 
We kind of approach this sometimes as like coming to a dad at the beginning of the day, he gives us a little money and he's like, don't get in trouble today, you know, and then we report back and we're okay. We made it through the day. And it's so easy to think about this. But this is a whole different kind of prayer. It's actually an invitation to God, the God of the universe, to make his presence known in the very depths of our lives. Think about this for a minute before we dissect the verses. Just look quickly at what we're asking God to do. We're asking to forgive us, which means to deal with the times when we feel the lowest in our life. And then we're asking him to help us forgive, to deal with the deepest pains and hurts of our life. Then we say, lead us not into temptation. And that's to be honest about our desires and our inability to, to trust him at times and to believe that his ways are good. And then deliver us from evil where we confront our fears, our dreads, and our anxieties. This is no simple and trite prayer. This is soul-bearing, soul-searching, meditative, reflective, heartfelt engagement with our Father, our Creator, and our Savior. And as I read this passage over and over again this week, it brought to me a feeling that I think many of us deal with on a regular basis, an issue that has seemed to grow to almost epidemic proportions over the last few years as we've dealt with uncertainty, division, skepticism, unpredictability, mistrust, suspicion, and troubled spirits. And it's what I'm going to term in what we know as the feeling of anxiousness or anxiety. I don't know about you, but if you just step back and think of the last few years, you've probably had some anxious moments. You've probably had seasons of your life that even if they're not right now, that have been filled with anxiety, uncertainty, anger, all different kinds of feelings that bring this instability into our life. And the more that I studied these two verses, what began to come into shape for me was a beautiful prayer that became a pathway through anxiety and fear in my own life. And the issue of anxiety is honestly not a new one. It's not just been birthed in the last few years out of COVID or out of political unrest or mistrust. As a matter of fact, in just the next chapter of Luke, Jesus takes on the whole issue of anxiety and worry, and the realization that most of our fear and anxiety is over things that we have little to no control over. He said, consider the, the ravens of the air, consider the lilies of the field. They don't worry, but yet I take care of them. And then later on in Philippians, Paul challenges us to embrace a life of prayer and thanksgiving and to set aside anxious minds and hearts. Anxiety is not a new phenomenon in our own hearts and minds or even in our culture. And the teaching of Jesus here that we're going to look at gives us a remedy, a pathway, a way forward in how to deal with our anxiety and its prayer. But not just any prayer, but the type of prayer that Jesus models for us in Luke 11. The, the word anxiety that Jesus uses in uh, chapter 12 of Luke can actually mean to give an overabundance of thought to, to overthink, to give too much thought that it consumes our mind. It is the idea that we can allow certain thoughts to take root in our life that are not healthy and not fruit-bearing. Instead, they are thoughts that can choke the peace and hope out of our lives. Thoughts about our self-worth, our fears, our doubts, our distrust of others that lead us to feeling uneasy, insecure, unsettled, unstable, agitated, or apprehensive. And this is what Jesus deals with in this prayer in Luke 11, and I'm grateful that he does. So let's talk about this today. And, and what we're going to do, we're actually going to start in verse 4, because I think verse 4 shows us where this anxiety can come from. And then we're going to pop back to verse 3 and see how we 
pray and live out verse 3. It'll actually handle how we deal with the the four things that we see in verse 4. So in verse 4, it tells us to start with, forgive us our sins, right? Forgive us. These simple words are an invitation for God to forgive us of our sins are actually quite powerful. On the surface level, it doesn't seem too bad, right? God, I did some things that weren't quite right today. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But this isn't what this is about. This is an invitation to look in the depths of our own brokenness and deal with one of the root causes of our anxiety, which is self-doubt. Self-doubt. And the way I'm going to paint this picture is often in my life, I've experienced anxiety when I allow bad thoughts to take root in my life and almost create a prison in my mind and a closed off way of thinking. And I think the the first wall of our prison of anxiety is often unresolved self-doubt. Self-doubt is a killer of hope and healing. It is the belief that I am too broken, too damaged, too different, too stubborn, too whatever to be fixed or healed. If I'm not willing to actually pray for God's forgiveness, it is most often related to the belief that I don't think God will forgive me or that I'm not deserving of his forgiveness. Listen to this. It's not that we don't seek forgiveness because we don't think we have done something wrong or sinned against God. Very often, we don't seek forgiveness because we think we have done too much wrong or sinned too greatly against God. And here's what this leads us to. It's the key idea about unresolved self-doubt. Unresolved self-doubt says this. It embraces the belief that my view and understanding of myself is more complete and valid than God's view. You ever thought that? God, God doesn't understand me. God, God can't see what I'm seeing about me. And we, we believe our view of ourselves is greater and we have more understanding of who we are than God's view of us. So when we pray, forgive us, if, we, if we're not praying that deeply and, and we're holding this back, we, we're experiencing self-doubt. But then when we step to the next one, when he says we should also say, not only forgive us, but as we forgive. If we're not praying this in the right way, it'll, it'll move us to another area of our life. As hard as it is to accept God's forgiveness, it is often just as hard to forgive. And this prayer commitment here is to forgive others is difficult to make with honesty and earnestness. And it brings to surface another underlying issue that leads to anxiety in our life, and it's unresolved anger. Unresolved anger, which is the second wall of this prison of anxiety. What unresolved anger kills is community and compassion that we talked about earlier, the kingdom of God. It's thinking that my pain is too deep or my hurt is too powerful to ever be dealt with and resolved. The sad but honest truth is we live in a world that constantly pours pain and suffering into our lives. We do. It's not a matter of if you will experience pain and hurt at the hands of others, but a question of when and how much. And this certainly isn't an excuse for anyone that has caused you pain or for the pain that you have caused others. But acting like pain and suffering are not part of our reality will lead us to embrace a life of anger, bitterness, and rage. And all anger, bitterness, and rage do is create more damage and pain that lead to retaliation and isolation in our lives. And we move further away from people in order to avoid any future pain. And we hold on to the pain and make it our defining aspect of our own lives. And then we try to build a life off of this broken foundation and wonder why it continues to crumble around us. And here's the key idea. Unresolved anger 
embraces the belief that the pain and suffering that I have experienced is more powerful than the hope and healing that God provides. And we get caught in this prison cell, these walls that are closing in, thinking, yeah, he's, he can heal that person. I've seen him do something in that miracle in that person's life, but not in mine. He can't do it in mine. And we think our hurt and our pain is more powerful than his hope and healing. That's the second wall. Then it says, as we continue to pray, it says, now pray, lead us not into temptation. And this next statement can cause another issue to surface in our lives. When we ask God to lead us not into temptation, if we aren't approaching this prayer in the right way, it can bring up the truth in our lives that we are tempted to do unhealthy and unrighteous things. I'll be the first to admit, I, am, I face temptation every day to go down paths that are not wise, to make choices that will hurt myself and others. We all face temptation. It is real, and the desire to give in to temptation is real as well. And just like there's a reality of pain and suffering in our broken world, there's also the reality of temptation. And when I focus on my own ability to overcome temptation and I know the failures that I have, it brings to service another source of anxiety in my life, which is unresolved fear. I start to live out of fear. This third wall of the prison of anxiety. Fear that I will fail and fall to temptation to do something and head down a path that I've never wanted to but it was too enticing, too tempting to stay away, and I couldn't make the right choice. Fear starts to own me. An unresolved fear will kill my confidence, and it has the ability to even extinguish faith in my ability to do any good or to make the right decision. Fear will make me second-guess every thought I have, question every motive, and start to erode my self-worth and any peace I have in my life. This unresolved fear will make me believe that I can't do anything right, and every time temptation comes my way, it will defeat me. Things like pride, greed, lust, envy, jealousy, selfishness start to flourish in our lives because we stop seeing any pathway forward that moves us into a more healthy situation, and we simply start to stay, stay, start focusing on the negative choices we have made in our lives. Temptation becomes too powerful to resist. And at times we even start blaming God for creating me this way. And it brings us to this key idea. Unresolved fear embraces the belief that my ability to bring self-harm into my life is an unstoppable force greater than the ever-present wisdom and grace of God. What I can do, the harm I can do to myself is greater than God's grace and God's wisdom and God's ability to draw me out of it, to lead me out of it. I don't stop just trusting myself. I stop trusting him. Which brings us to the last statement where it says to pray, deliver us from evil. Again, if we don't approach this in the right way, this final statement of this model prayer is powerful indeed. It is ask and ask for God to deliver us from all this evil that we have talked about, right? This self-doubt of not being able to accept forgiveness the anger in our souls over the inability to forgive others for the pain and suffering we have experienced, the fear we have that we can't trust ourselves to make the right decisions and will bring harm into our own lives greater than God's grace. That's what we're saying, deliver us from. But if we're still dealing with unresolved self-doubt, anger, and fear, this statement will bring up the fourth and final wall of this prison of anxiety and its unresolved despair. Despair. 
unresolved despairs, the idea that nothing will ever get better. Evil will prevail. Good will be vanquished. There is no hope or ability for hope to take root and to grow into anything meaningful. This can grow from a worldview to a personal view in our own lives. Despair is a killer. It rattles our mind. It clouds our vision. It bleeds our heart of joy and pleasure. And left unchecked and unresolved, it distorts our view of God's and his goodness and will rob us of every good thing in our life. And here's the key idea about unresolved despair. It embraces the belief that my limited view of my life and the world is more complete and accurate than God's omniscient perspective. The way I see it is the way it is instead of the way God has said it to be. This prison that we can put ourselves in, it can be dangerous and deadly. We can feel trapped and isolated. And while the idea of being alone in a prison cell is not at all pleasant, the idea that we are not alone is even more terrifying. The fact that we are, aren't by ourselves in this prison, but we are held captive by these thoughts of unresolved doubt, anger, fear, and despair, and they are not kind cellmates. They constantly torment, it, torment us and challenge us. And left unchecked, they close in around us and choke out any pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope in our lives. And here's what anxiety ultimately is. It is an internal, continual consumption of fear, anger, doubt, and despair. It's all we're feeding off of. It what becomes our morning meal, our afternoon meal, our dinner. It's our snacks. It's our midnight snack when we wake up. Every time we get caught thinking about something, fear, anger, doubt, and despair. This is not the end of the sermon, thank God, right? <laughs> You're like, woo, let's go from here. Thank God that they are not the only ones in that cell with you, though. There is something else to consume more than that horrible prison food of fear, anger, doubt, and despair. And this is what takes us back to the beautiful beginning of chapter, or verse 3. When he says, and this is where I want to turn the page and change our way of thinking and break free from the self-imposed prison of anxiety that many of us can find ourselves locked in. Because in verse 3, it tells us to first pray this. Give us this day our daily bread. That seems so simple to pray. And for us to understand the depth of significance of this verse, we have to step out of our 21st century mindsets and worldviews for a minute and try to better understand what the people that were hearing this from Jesus would have understood it to mean. For us, if we want bread today, you know what we do? We walk over to Urban Market or Food Cellar and we can buy any kind of bread we want. Freshly baked, some of it's been packaged for a few days, it's got preservatives and additives in it to make it last longer. The idea of having bread every day is not a big deal for us. It's not a concern unless there's a snow forecast, right? Then everybody, for some reason, wants sliced bread. I have no clue why people love sliced bread when it snows, but the, even here, people do that. So we don't, we don't have a desire, like a, access to it is not an issue. And, and the truth even goes deeper than that. For even those who cook it in the bakery here are not the ones who actually grew the wheat, they just went and bought flour, yeast, spices, baking soda, and make the bread. They didn't grow the grain, harvest it, thresh it, grind it, and make it ready for baking. 
But for those of the living in Jesus' day, the baking of daily bread was an essential and ever-present part of their lives. They had to farm the ingredients or trade for them. They had to store them. Then each day, someone would rise early, prepare the bread that would be needed for the household that day, and have it ready by the time everyone else would awake. And bread was also the core of their diet. It was part of every meal. It was served with dried meats, nuts, olive spreads, and accompanied soups, and was the primary source of energy in our lives. Daily bread was essential to living. Even in Hebrew culture today, bread, the challah bread, is essential and symbolic of their connection with the earth and with God. And the truth is that bread usually only lasted a day. There were no preservatives or additives. Some bread could maybe last longer, but the daily bread that was made every morning had to be made every day, every morning for everyone. So when you read this passage, it should mean a little more to us than for God to just give us some blessings each day. Give me my daily bread today, God. Sliced loaf, right, of Wonder Bread. That's not what this is. The idea of daily bread was deeply entrenched in this culture. And so when it says give us daily bread, the term give us here could actually just as easily be translated prepare for us daily bread. Now think about that for a minute. That's a bold ask of God. God, you be the one who gets up early, does all the work, preps everything, knows what we're going to be doing today, knows what our work is like. You prepare the bread for all of us. And when we wake up in the morning, we'll take all the work you've done and we'll consume it during the day. That's a bold ask. But then I step back and think, who better to ask than God? The person preparing the bread for the household served that household in a unique way. They got up, they put in the work that no one else did in order to have everyone to have what they needed for the day. This is a beautiful reminder of the character and nature of our God, a good God who wants good for us. This afternoon, we're having a few people over for a brunch, and Katie last night was up preparing everything. I get up this morning, and there's this beautiful smell of pumpkin bread cooking. And I'm like, uh, she, she's been making the daily bread. I was like, you, can, you did this on today while I preached? Like, what a beautiful illustration, right? And, uh, but then I think about this. She put in a lot of work for one day. I, I, I love my wife, and I think she would do it. Maybe she had to. But that's not her everyday routine. Like once on a special occasion, maybe we'll do something like that. But what we're asking God to do is to every day step into our lives and we say, prepare for us today our daily bread. We say, God, give us what we need to face all that's coming our way today. All the doubt, all the fear, all the anger, all the despair that's coming our way. I can't face it unless I take the bread that you have prepped for me today to walk into it. So what happens when we partake of this bread? Through our prayers, our perspectives begin to change. Our understanding is broadened. Our eyes start to see clearly. And anxiety is transformed in our lives to something different. And here's what happens. Unresolved doubt when we step in and start with this daily bread and this trust of God that he is giving us all we need is overcome with a sense of worth. Think about it. God loves you so much. He loves you enough to prepare something for you. God wouldn't stop, he's not stopping making bread for you. No matter how much you sin, 
no matter how much you rebel, he is making bread for you. Your daily bread is always ready. You are forgivable. When you say, forgive us. Now, we have taken the daily bread. God, forgive us for our sins. He knows, and he has prepped this in, in spite of that for us, and it shows the worth he has for us. And the implication is this. God knows who you are and what you need better than you know yourself. He knows who you are and what you need. If we take the daily bread and we start taking on the daily bread and realizing that God has made this for us to strengthen us, here's what happens to our unresolved anger. It is overcome by a sense of renewal. Think about this for a minute. The grace of God's daily bread in your life coming to you no matter what, it reminds you of the ability of God to take any pain and suffering and bring something new and purposeful from it. And it helps us to remember we can do the same. We can forgive as we have been forgiven. So when we pray, God, forgive us, gives us a sense of, of worth, and then help us to forgive, it turns that anger into a sense of, why don't we work toward renewal? And here's the implication. God is able to use the ingredients of pain and suffering to produce blessings in your life. He doesn't give it to you for that purpose. He doesn't throw pain just at you for no reason. But the pain and suffering that comes into your life, he can take it and produce blessings in your life. You can forgive. Well, what about when we approach the idea of having daily bread and this is the motivation behind our living and our, our moving forward? How does this handle it when we say, when we deal with the fear that comes into our life around temptation? unresolved fear is overcome with a sense of purpose. Purpose. The fear I have that failure is my only outcome is changed when I realize that God knows my history and he has prepared bread I need for today to move forward and not backward. He's not cutting my rations, but instead is strengthening me for the purpose ahead and I can overcome temptation. I've got the fuel. I've got the bread to do it, to move forward. And the implication is this. The wisdom of God can take any failure in my life and turn it into an opportunity for growth. Again, he doesn't want failure. He doesn't pour it into our lives and test us so hard that we're going to fail. Scripture teaches that, that he doesn't do that. But in the midst of failures, when we learn and we start to pray, lead us out of temptation, he is always ready to step in and give us the strength to move out. We can overcome temptation. But what about in the depths of despair? When we think that evil has overcome, unresolved despair is overcome when we have this bread with a sense of wholeness. Wholeness. There is a beauty in the repetitive nature of asking and receiving God's daily bread for our life. Just think back to this last week. Maybe you had good days, bad days. This last month, good days, bad days doesn't matter what your day was. When you wake up in the morning, the bread is there. This repetitive nature. Just as despair can seem endless and overwhelming, the remedy for that is an ongoing, never-ending provision, protection, and promises of God. His mercies are new every day. Bread is fresh every morning. This is the new rhythm of life, a new sense of wholeness and completeness that wasn't there before. I can be delivered from evil. And here's the implication. The consistent pursuit of God's presence in our life will change our perspective from despair to hope. 
So how do we get this prayer to come alive like this in the midst of our anxiety of feeling trapped in that prison? I can tell you that there are two things we need to embrace to be able to pray a prayer like this, and it's intimacy and consistency. I believe that an invitation to God's presence to enter into the depths of my life isn't something to fear. Instead, it is something to embrace. That's intimacy. And the willingness to pray this prayer, even when we don't feel like it, or maybe we don't even believe it or think we deserve it. It's consistency, a willingness to pray. Give me today the bread that you have prepared for me so that I can deal with the problems and the faces or the issues that I will face today. Remember this model prayer? It's a beautiful thing when you look back on it. Remember who you're having the conversation with. Remember what you're having a conversation about. And now this part, remember what God has done, is doing, and will do in your life. This is the model prayer. And maybe today you are trapped in that prison of anxiety. You're in the depths of sorrow, fear, doubt, anger, and despair. And I want you to remember that as deep as your prison and pit may feel, there is something deeper. You have worth deeper than your doubts. You have renewal deeper than your anger. There is a purpose deeper than your fear, and there is a wholeness deeper than your despair. And the challenge is to reach out and taste the beautiful daily bread that God has prepared for you. In the depths of our sorrow, there's a sweet aroma of fresh baked bread that is full of the blessings of God ready to deliver you. And so our question of the day is simply this. Will you allow God to break you out of the prison of anxiety and place you on a path to community, compassion, hope, and healing? This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Oh, Father, it is uh, easy to get lost in anxiety. I've been there. I would dare say all of us in this room have felt those moments of overwhelming thoughts that consume us, fear, doubt, anger, despair. Times when we feel locked in a prison. Times when our sorrow seems too deep to ever be overcome. And maybe there are those in this room right now that are in that moment right now. God, help us to take a breath. Breathe deeply. Smell the beauty, the aroma of your bread of blessing. God, will you prepare for us this day our daily bread so that we can feel forgiveness and forgive others? God, so that we can be led away from temptation and delivered from the evilest places we've ever been in our lives. God, evil cannot win in the presence of your daily bread. God, despair cannot win in the presence of your daily bread. Anger, fear, doubt dissipate in the presence of your daily bread. Father, even in the depths of sorrow, 
depths of despair, you are there to pull us out and free us and help us walk in blessings of pleasure, peace, meaning.